Hello everyone, Matt here and welcome to Looking Back at Lost, where each week I look at another episode of ABC's Lost, see how that episode fits into the series as a whole. Today I'll be looking at episode 502 entitled The Lie. This is the 88th episode of the series, and there are 33 to go. Now, before we jump into that, I want to share an email that I received from Jacob. No, not that Jacob, but rather uh, a listener. And uh, he sent, admittedly, a rather rather giant email, which I'll read uh, a good portion of. So without further ado, here it is. Uh, He says that Locke is Ben. Not the same person, obviously, but Jacob says, let me explain. He says that a boy born prematurely to a mother named Emily, the boy loses his mother, and years later, by mysterious circumstances, this boy is brought to a mystical island where he is convinced by a group of strange natives to kill his own father and eventually lead these natives on a path to save the island. Except once he becomes their leader, he will find out far too late that he isn't leading the island towards its safety at all. He's leading it toward its destruction after being manipulated by a mysterious figure known only as the Man in Black. Now, Jacob says, who does that sound like to you? Well, it should sound like two people, Locke and Ben. As you said, him talking to me, in the recap of Cabin Fever, Ben's line, I used to have dreams, is pretty darn telling that Locke is a sort of replacement for Ben. But as we second-time viewers know, another uncanny similarity exists between these two men. We know that they're both huge losers who are meant for greatness, but unknowingly manipulated by the man in black. Jacob goes on to say that he thinks that the other Jacob uh, knows people's potential but can't force them to reach it, which is why in the uh, Flash Sideways timeline, Locke and Ben are both fairly noble men. Locke knew that Jacob was special, which is why he sent Richard to his adoptive home to question him as a boy. And here... Jacob notes that uh, perhaps I misinterpreted something about the scene, which uh, certainly is possible. I remember uh, for the uh, for that particular podcast expressing, you know, maybe not confusion, but expressing uh, oh, that I was unsure on how to read the scene. Anyhow, uh, this Jacob uh, notes that in that scene, Locke didn't just pick the knife because he was never supposed to pick one item. He picks the vial of sand, which Richard likes. He picks the compass, which Richard also likes. But then he picks the knife, which Richard doesn't like at all. Uh, Jacob writing in reads this as uh, being a scene in which Richard is able to tell that Locke is drawn to the island. But Locke's drawing of the smoke monster uh, is drawing, uh, being drawn by the smoke monster. The fact that he picks the knife suggests to Richard that he could be easily swayed to the man of Black's side for violent purposes, which of course, ends up being true. Uh, Jacob starts to wrap up by saying, so Jacob had to settle for Ben, a boy whose life mirrored Locke's pretty closely, and who happened to show up on the island without Jacob even having to draw him there. 
But Ben ended up being, unbeknownst to Ben, swayed to the side of Smokey. And once Jacob saw this, he decided to go against his better judgment, save Locke from potential death, and draw him to the island after all. Smokey, of course, got to Locke before Jacob could, using the bodies of Yemi, Boone, and Christian to trick Locke into thinking he was doing Jacob's will. He knew it would work because Locke and Ben are pretty much the same person. So, Jacob wraps up by asking, what does it all mean? I don't know. Maybe it didn't make any sense at all. I would argue, Jacob, it does make a lot of sense that they are uh, thematically very similar characters built on the same foundation. Jacob wraps up by saying, your show has me all excited about Lost again, so I thought I'd share my ramblings with you. If you made it this far, you're the best. Uh, thank you, Jacob. And uh, he concludes, finally, by saying, keep up the great work with the show. Namaste. So thank you so much, Jacob, for your, uh, for your very thoughtful email there. I was happy to share uh, most of it with our, with our listeners here. And uh, definitely some good stuff there for, for Cabin Fever. Some really, really good stuff. Um, it's, a, it's a curious scene. And I think that uh, Jacob's email certainly... Uh, you know, certainly brings into focus the notion that uh, Ben and Locke are uh, are ultimately serving the same function on the island or, or, or may serve the same function. So with that, Jacob, thank you for your wonderful email. And let's get into the Wikipedia summary for this episode. On the island, the remaining survivors are back in the past, attempting to start a fire when they are attacked by a barrage of flaming arrows. Some of the survivors are able to escape, but Neil, Frogert, and a few others are killed, uh, and Sawyer and Juliet are separated from the group. Lost in the jungle, they are captured by a group of armed military men who demand to know who they are, asserting that the island is theirs. The men are about to cut off Juliet's hand to extract information when John Locke ambushes them, helping Sawyer and Juliet free themselves. In 2007, following the events of Because You Left, Jack and Ben part ways, with Ben taking Locke's body to a butcher for safekeeping. Ben tells Jack to collect any personal items he really wants and meet up with him in six hours. Meanwhile, Kate and Aaron have fled their home to escape lawyers demanding a maternity test. They meet up with Son at a hotel, who implies that Kate should take whatever measures are necessary to protect Aaron. Son forgives Kate for leaving her husband, Jin, on the freighter when it exploded. Meanwhile, Hurley and Saeed are on the run after they are attacked at their safe house. Hurley drives the unconscious Saeed, who has been hit by two drug darts, to his parents' house. Along the way, he's pulled over by deceased 815 survivor Anna Lucia, who gives him advice on how to avoid the real cops. Upon arriving home, Hurley's dad, David, covers for them when the police show up and suggests that Hurley take Saeed to the hospital. Hurley refuses, and David ends up taking Saeed to Jack, who is successful in reviving him. At home, Hurley confesses to his mother, Carmen, that the Oceanic Six have been lying. She believes him, though doesn't understand his disjointed story. Later, Ben unexpectedly shows up at the house and tries to convince Hurley to go with him to meet up with the rest of the Oceanic Six, saying they all want the same thing, to go back to the island. Hurley wavers for a moment, then runs outside and turns himself into the police watching the house, having been advised by Saeed to do the opposite of whatever Ben asks. Later, Ben visits Miss Hawking, 
who tells him that she has found the island and that Ben has only 70 hours to return with the Oceanic Six. And with the Wikipedia summary now over, let's get into my thoughts about the episode. A really, I mean, this is a solid episode. Lots of time spent in 2007. Uh, just just a really wonderful episode that, uh, I don't know, it just really helps propel the season forward. But anyhow, uh, it starts with the cold open with three years ago seen on screen. It's a very, very quiet start to the point that I thought that perhaps my sound wasn't working. Uh, with that, sure enough, some sound starts to come in. And there's an unseen man getting beers, and it feels very Desmond in the hatch. Though we're revealed to be on The Searcher, that of course being the boat that found the Oceanic Six, plus Desmond and Frank. Uh, it's also revealed that it's Frank Lapidus with the beers. Uh, we essentially enter mid-scene to Jack setting up the lie. You know, get it? Because the name of the episode is... Yeah. Anyhow, Jack's speech wanders into exposition territory, Jack explaining that they need to lie to hide things from Widmore, who is Penny's father. Is everybody clear at home? All right, we get it. But they do add a cute little moment where Hurley pushes them to tell the truth, something that's going to be repeated in the course of the episode the truth that the island moved why hurley is told for that they think you're crazy uh the scene is capped with hurley swearing not to help saeed who didn't back him up with that what is essentially a flashback over or perhaps it's somewhat contemporary i guess it's completely contemporary to the current island story there's a little bit of a disjointed um a disjointed chronology here not that it's troublesome as you watch it but what's a flashback what's a flash forward you know we have two separate timelines which are or perhaps even three i mean let's see they're on the searcher for a couple of days about a week is it is it 10 days now i can't remember i know there's that title card uh um back in the season four finale but you know we're still when, we, when we're at the island, we're at one time period. I think on the searcher, it's slight, a slightly different time period. At any rate, this portion of the story done with. Um, we uh, see Los Angeles Hurley driving the unconscious Saeed, helping him get it, because he said he wouldn't help him. Anyhow, with that, he's pulled over by a cop, but not just any cop, our favorite cop. What the hell were you thinking? Did I see you? You were driving like a maniac. And why'd you pull over? I just... I, I thought... You didn't think. What if I were real? What if a real cop stopped you? They already have pictures of you covered in blood with a gun in your hand. Actually, it's ketchup. We went to uh, a drive-thru and... Uh... Bro, you need to pull it together. You've got a lot of work to do. I do? Let's start with the basics. First off, you need new clothes. Then you need to go to a safe place and take Saeed to somebody you trust. You getting all this? Yeah. Then get to it. And stay away from the cops. Do not get arrested. Thanks, Santa Lucia. Oh, yeah. Libby says hi. 
It is fantastic to see the return of Anna Lucia. And now, of course, there's this question as to whether she's real or not. Well, obviously she isn't real real, but is she really there in spirit? I, for one, vote yes. Early hurly divination with the other side in preparation for his role as island leader. And the mention of Libby is such a lovely capper. It's that little flame kept alive for her flash sideways return next season. Anyhow, with that, we get the title card, then Rose and Bernard having a lovely lover's quarrel about how to light a fire, which is interrupted by Frogert finally getting some lines. And he's a downer who predicts death. Rather ironic. Uh, he's useful enough, though, to give his spare shirt to Sawyer, who's now covered up. Sorry, ladies. Uh, with that, Dan returns, having been talking to Desmond in the last episode, and uh, Dan says that he must find where they are. In time! It's some sneaky exposition reminding us what's going on. With that, we flash back to Hurley, amusingly buying clothes in a convenience store, where he's almost recognized, then recognized as the lottery winner who crashed on an island. This is while the mute TV behind the worker shows Hurley as triple murder suspect, question mark. Really nice kind of just amusing moment, but also uh, also a reminder of the tension going on. With that, Hurley gets back in the car. He pulls out with Saeed still asleep. It's a cute little high wire act, which seems to conclude with a long shot uh, of the gas station. But... The shot lingers as a new car pulls in. It's Kate and Aaron. Okay, now that's a fun bit of story monkeying. That's the hand of the writer saying, aha, and I think that we can only admit that you know, it's a good move. Anyhow, Kate checks her map, a subtle reminder that she is, once again, on the run. She almost calls Jack, rather tellingly. She's in trouble, so she reaches out to him, or at least that's her thought process, but she does not call him though she does take a call from a mysterious person who's also in L.A. The plot thickens. Now, to be fair, if you're kind of going through your mental Rolodex here uh, of the Oceanic Six people, uh, as I recall, it's only Sun who would not normally be in L.A. Uh, Hurley's in Santa Rosa, of course. Uh, we have Jack. We have, I guess it could be Saeed. She doesn't know that Saeed's back in town. But, of course, we know it's not Saeed on the phone. So, anyhow, it's rather, um, odds are it's Sun. Although, I think, in the shell game of the episode, you know, there's all this mysterious stuff going on. I don't think that the audience is given a chance to think about who it could be. So, it's a nice, kind of, you know, the, the dramatic function there is to not know. Anyhow, with that, we cut to Ben, retrieving a mysterious bag from a motel air vent, and Jack re-enters the room. It's a dark shadowy scene hammered home by Ben announcing that he's flushed Jack's pills down the toilet. Jack responds that he was going to do that too. It rings hollow, but what comes next is not hollow. I'm checking out. Where are we going? You're going home. Then find yourself a suitcase. If there's anything in this life you want, pack it in there. Because you're never coming back. Good. Good. I'll pick you up in six hours. And where will you be going? John's casket is outside in a carpet van. 
I need to move it somewhere safe. Safe? He's dead, isn't he? I'll see you in six hours, Jack. In that scene, we get very true truth and an implied lie. Jack indeed will not return. The lock's death floated to be not real by both Jack and Ben, and in fact the writers, and by the music. That's all a bit of a cheap trick. Locke really is really, really dead, but the show is laying track for his presumed death and return. To be fair, though, Ben's pause hides the writer's plan under his guilt in killing him, you know, which is to say that Locke knows very well, or pardon me, that Ben knows very well that Locke is very dead. With that, the story moves to Hurley's dad fixing a pepperoni and caviar sandwich. Ah, nouveau riche. Before being interrupted by Hurley with Saeed over his shoulder. Dun dun dun, with that act break. Then Hurley does some recap, followed by a visit from the LAPD. You know, the live ones, not Anna Lucia. Story then moves to uh, moving Saeed's body from the pool table to the couch. You know, it must have been a busy acting day for Naveen Andrews being asleep for the entire scene. And the characters learn what will wake Saeed up. Not these two guys. Dad suggests a doctor. And Hurley has the same ding moment that we do. Why, Jack's a doctor. See how the pieces are coming together. And then, of course, at the end of the episode, they you know pull the pieces apart a bit. Anyhow, the story moves to Kate going to the 31st floor to see Sun. Hey, everybody's back in L.A. now. See, they're all getting the band back together. Now, this truly compelling, wonderfully compelling L.A. story moves to Ben going to a butcher shop to meet one of his secret agents named Jill. She'll keep Locke's body safe. And there's also some secret exposition for Ben to hammer home the importance of the mission. Flashbacks over, back in the cold, dark beach, with old Bernard not quite able to get the fire started yet. Rose berates him out of love. Frogert berates him out of Frogertness. Is it time for him to die yet? More tellingly, Daniel and Charlotte, off to the side, share a quiet moment in which she confesses that she's got an unending headache and can't remember her mother's maiden name. This clearly is meant to harken back to Daniel's memory issues uh, when we first met him or towards the beginning there. Memory issues, which, by the way, seem to have uh, subsided quite a bit now that, he's, uh, now that he's on the island. It's all, you know, foreshadowing, foreshadowing. And speaking of foreshadowing, Frogert gets his lament a la arts with similar results. A knife? You need a knife? Oh, it's over by the Cuisinart next to the stove. What's your problem? My problem is, we don't have a knife. We don't have anything. And it wouldn't even matter if we did, because Bernie the dentist can't even start a fire. Ease up there, Frogert. It's Neil, you inbred. And I'm not going to ease up, because I'm tired, and I'm hungry, and I'm screwed. We're all Calm screwed. down, Neil. We're going to get through this. How are any of us going to get through this? Did you hear what I just said? We can't even get fired! <laughs> <laughs> With that and across the act break, 
Uh, our herd of castaways is thinned from unseen baddies, though. Unsurprisingly, Sawyer, Juliet, Daniel, Charlotte, Bernard, Rose, and Miles do seem to escape a-okay. Funny how that oftentimes the case, isn't it? With that, we flash forward to Hurley at home with a heart-to-heart -heart with Dad, and he's just about to spill the beans, but Mom interrupts with the great line, Why is there a dead Pakistani on my couch? Hint, he's not dead, though Dad sneaks our heroes out. Actually, pardon me, it's Dad sneaks Saeed out in an SUV, and the story moves to Son and Kate having a little chat fest in her super-duper penthouse with a killer view of the Hollywood Hills. Kate admits that someone, quote, knows they're lying, close quote, and it's the first time that Kate's story has been couched against the lie, though Sun spells out that it's not the lie that these unseen baddies are after. Uh, interesting, by the way, aren't they essentially the same unseen baddies, albeit, you know, through the, through the, lens of time, but it's the same unseen baddies on island as it is uh, here, as I recall. Uh, anyhow, Sun spells out that it's not the lie that they're after, and then reminds Kate that Jin almost made it to the chopper. Jin being dead and all, implies Sun. Another bit of a lie from the, the, from the writers, but to be fair, one that is squarely from Sun's point of view. With that, the story moves to Papa Reyes. For some reason, I don't like calling him David. It's Papa Reyes or Cheech Marine. Anyhow, Papa Reyes uh, is meeting up with Jack, where they discuss the sleepy time Saeed in the trunk. Hurley, it turns out, is still at home, and Jack takes Saeed to the hospital, but not before reporting to Ben. Ben is gobsmacked enough to end the act, but not before Jacino ends with a triumphant oomph at the end of the, the usual act-ending crazy strings. The message is clear. This is the click of a puzzle piece coming together nicely. After that act break, Hurley is nervously sitting at the table, confessing to his madre. Hurley's confession is of season one through four. They crashed. There was a smoke monster. There were others who had nothing to do with the hatch, which was by Dharma, and they fought. It's a wonderful breakneck moment of recap, done sadly and humorously. They were all dead. The others killed them, and now they're trying to kill us. And then we teamed up with the others because some worse people were coming on a freighter. Desmond's girlfriend's father sent them to kill us, so we stole their helicopter, and we flew it to their freighter, but it blew up. And we couldn't go back to the island because it disappeared. So then we crashed into the ocean, and we floated there for a while until a boat came and picked us up. And by then, there were six of us. That part was true. But the rest of the people who were on the plane They're still on that island. I love that the humor ends with a joke. That part was true. And then it slows down and restates the central message of the season. There are those that have been left behind and something must be done. The scene ends not only with Mom believing in him, but Hurley's statement that they should have told the truth, something that he's been saying all along in the episode. With that, the story returns to the island, 
where Sawyer's not wearing any shoes, and we're uh, reminded of that thanks to a giant spiky thing that gets caught in his foot, and there's kind of blood dripping, and it's squishy as he pulls the spike out. Then he and Juliet are caught by army-looking folks, one of which has a British accent. Hmm, do we know any other British people? Anyhow, the appearance of these army guys are out of the blue, and it ends the act. After the act break, we return to Jack helping Saeed, all whilst the good doctor sweats and sweats during his drug withdrawal. Nice little detail there, his sweaty back. The music is tense with lots of beepy beepy and injections. Then Saeed wakes up, trying to choke Jack before figuring out what's what. Don't worry, Saeed. Sometimes we want to choke Jack, too. With that, the story goes back to Hurley, who's warming a hot pocket when Ben shows up. Get away from me. Get away. Hugo, I know you're in trouble. And I can assure you I've taken care of everything. I have a car waiting for us out back. The police didn't see me come in. I can get you out of here. No way, dude. Saeed warned me about you. I'm taking you to Saeed. He's with Jack. That's why I'm here, Hugo. Jack called me. How else would I know that they're together? No. You're, you're playing one of your mind games. They never trust you. In their defense, I'm not an easy person to trust. But they came around when they realized that we all want the same thing. What's that? To go back to the island. Here, Michael Emerson's performance is so nuanced. He's got a sweet firmness in his voice, not ordinarily present. And his smiles are followed by a slight squinting of the eyes as he tries to read Hurley. And it should be said that as much as Ben's being manipulative, he's also using the truth. The scene is indeed an opportunity to restate uh, the central oomph of the episode and the season. They're going back somehow. And now that Ben is here, they're all one step closer, except... Never, dude. Hey! Hey, you got me! That's right, you got me! That's right! Stop, I'm police! Fix your I'm back towards me! Slowly drop down to your knees! I'm a murderer. I killed four people. Three people. However many I did, I killed them. I killed them. I killed them all. Just, just get me away from there. In this scene, there's excellent acting out of Jorge Garcia, from being painfully honest to turning triumphant in his capture. And it's also an instance of another monkey wrench getting thrown into the the, well, the, the direction of the story, being getting the gang back to the island. And indeed, speaking of the island, there's one quick return to it. Sawyer and Juliet at gunpoint, about to suffer at the hands of the Brit. Uh, but then the baddies are attacked, one is knifed, and there's a hero shot of Locke walking towards camera, pulling the knife out, and declaring his return to the group. Then, in what has essentially been, at least the way it was produced, the way it was broadcast, uh, you know, this was a two-hour premiere, essentially, two episodes from, for a two-hour premiere. Uh, what we get next is an epilogue of sorts, an epilogue for the uh, for this episode and 501 together, the kind of 501, 502 
combined storyline, we get an, uh, a bit of an epilogue, which can help propel us forward into the, uh, into the forthcoming season. We have tight shots in a dark room with a whooshing, whirring thing too close to the camera to, to be able to quite decipher. It's, in a sense, a pastiche of familiarity. A blackboard, an old computer, a white-haired woman who goes upstairs revealing that they're underneath, so tellingly, they're underneath a church. And who's there as well? Arguably, uh, or perhaps hardly arguably, the least godly among our characters is there, lighting a candle. Any luck? Yes. Really? Really? What about you? I'm having some difficulty. Oh, you better get busy, because you only have 70 hours. What? No, no, that's not enough time. I need at least... What you need is irrelevant. 70 hours is what you've got. Look, I lost Reyes tonight. So what happens if I can't get them all to come back? Then God help us all. It's great fun seeing Ben metaphorically kneel before someone else, let alone reveal that it is, of course, Miss Hawking. Uh, it's, it's also, you know, it functions as a scene to, how do I put this? We knew that, you know, we knew two hours into the in, in, into this season that the, the the direction of the the season was going to be getting the Oceanic Six back to uh, back to the island, of course. Um, but kind of the particulars were murky, and of course, you know, all drama needs tension. So how are you going to add some tension to this? Well, now we have this ticking. Uh, this ticking clock of you know so many hours left, where where Ben must uh, work his magic, and it's essentially a you know a handful of days, uh, let alone the long term plans that Ben is so used to. So a really nice turning up of the tension. Uh, obviously, we'll, we'll learn that this is a new station, indeed, a station whose uh, emblem is the one that I used uh, for this podcast. So, at any rate, just. This is a you know this is a more complete um, ending to the introduction of season five. I certainly stand by the decision to do one episode a week. These episodes were you know technically produced independently, but um, this feels like the end of the beginning of season one of uh, season five. Now we can really jump off now that we've completed five hundred one and five hundred two and really uh, really jump into this absolutely thrilling thrilling season. But we are, of course, not done quite yet. Let's take a look at Lostpedia for some bits and pieces I have missed. First, they note that the Foucault Pentum uh, is tracing over a giant map. Alaska can be seen in the upper left and Australia in the lower left. But, says Lostpedia, since pendulums always rotate along the same point, directly under the point where it's held, it could not be very useful to find any location on the map, as the intersection of the lines would always be the same. It could, however, be used to determine the bearing of entry needed to approach said location. It's also feasible that the pendulum possibly traces certain positions of the island through time. Uh, look, I get it. I get how pendulums work, Lostpedia. But can we give it a little, uh, 
you know, a little wiggle room. I mean, let's not forget that the, you know, the Argentinians were able to detect uh, the, the hatch explosion. Is it possible that the, the Earth's rotation is slightly juked and jived when the island moves? You know, it's... Wellspedia is being a bit harsh here, but I guess we shouldn't be... Uh, shouldn't be too shocked but also from lostpedia the quote from hurley's mom in the episode why is there a dead pakistani on my couch has become a popular google search suggestion causing people ignorant of that particular scene some disturbance <laughs> uh, they also mention that this is uh the only episode of the season in which all main characters appear Jin only appeared in reused footage however from there's no place like home part two they also note that uh, Desmond appears without speaking lines in the opening flashback. And they also note, in kind of casting news, that this is the last episode of the series featuring all the background beach camp survivors. Indeed, only lawyer, uh, lawyer, there we go, only Sawyer, Rose, Locke, and Bernard apparently survived this episode. And um, this is also the last time they note that a former main cast member was credited with special guest star. And, uh, you know, it's odd here that they don't, in that last bit, Sawyer, uh, Rose, Locke, Bernard, um, I guess apparently survived this episode. Okay, fair enough. And those also, I get what they're saying. They're also the survivors of the crash. Got it. Anyhow, speaking of Rose and Bernard, the last little bit is that Rose and Bernard, uh, their fate is not known until the incident part one. So we have the whole season in, in conflict for our friends there. Let's look ahead to next week, shall we? Next week will be the, the you know, such an important episode, 503 Jughead, uh, which, of course, there was the line from Lindelof, I believe, kind of in the middle of the season, we wouldn't introduce a nuclear bomb if we weren't going to do something with it. So with that, dear listeners, if uh, you would like to share feedback, much as uh, Jacob did, uh, the best way to do that would be to say hello to me on Twitter, where I'm looking back lost. You can also send an email, as Jacob did, if you have a longer thought. You can send it to lookingbackatlost at gmail.com. You can leave a comment on the webpage, which is lookingbackatlost.podbean.com. And last but not least, dear friends, don't forget that there's the listener line, 732-707-1815. If you call that, the Google robot will be minding it as my own little Desmond there to take your call listen to what you have to say, and then send it off to me as an MP3 file for use in the podcast. So with that, thank you everybody once again for listening. As always, it's, uh, it's such a bright spot in the week to be able to sit down and discuss Lost. If you've uh, followed some of my other podcast adventures, there are some other TV shows that aren't quite as much fun at all. So thank you everybody for listening. Talk to you all again next week for 503 Jughead. Take care, everybody, and bye-bye.